And now, Dan Happel's Connecting the Dots. If tomorrow all the things were gone, I'd work for all my life. And I had to start again with just my children and my wife. I thank my lucky stars to be living here today. Where the flag still stands for freedom and they can't take that away. The men who died, who gave that right to me, and I gladly stand up next to you and defend her still today. Cause there ain't no doubt I love this land. God bless the USA. God bless the USA. Well, good Tuesday morning and welcome to Connecting the Dots with Dan Happel. And uh, today we've got a, an old friend on <laughs> and Harry and I have become friends over the years because uh, this gentleman has uh, seen firsthand what we're seeing today in this country. I believe when I first started uh, talking with Harry about seven years ago, uh, he was warning America, wake up. You are seeing with the Obama administration at that time, you are seeing the takedown of America. You are seeing the funda fundamental transformation of America, just like he saw the funda fundamental transformation of South Africa after 1992 and the uh, fall of apartheid. And uh, we're not going to say that everything was perfect under the apartheid I'll, I'll government, but we will certainly say that it was uh, definitely much preferable to what we see today in South Africa. And uh, the crime and everything else has just taken off. And now one of the most dangerous, if not the most dangerous occupation in the world is being a white farmer in South Africa. Uh, it actually, you have a better chance of being killed or uh, destroyed than uh, virtually any soldier in the world uh, right now. So, Harry, welcome to the program. Thank you, my friend, for coming on again. We've got to keep doing this because we have a good listenership in South Africa from the reports I've gotten, we've actually got quite a fan base down there. We need to keep standing up for these people because the world is in the process of collapsing. And like I said in my newsletter, the canary in the coal mine was South Africa, and the canary has died. Uh, we're in trouble. And if we don't stand up and do the right thing for the world, we're going to lose the civilized, Western civilized world, and we're going to have to live under a system that will be absolutely destructive. Uh, Harry, anyway, thank you for joining us this morning. I know it's early, 
on the West Coast, but thank you and uh, welcome to the program. Well, thank you, Dan. It's nice to be here. Hope that all the technology is running fine. It is. And, uh, uh, yeah, thank, thanks for having me. It's always great to be uh, on your program. And uh, uh, this time I'm a little bit better equipped in terms of presenting pictures and things because I've mm -hmm. sat down and practiced to handle these various interfaces of Zoom, of which there are too many to control. <laughs> but uh, mm -hmm. Well, you we do fine. Try. I should mention the fact that you are a PhD in physics uh, you worked in the South African weapons industry for many years, and you received a lot of awards for the work that you did. Uh, it's not like you're a, uh, a, a novice to the politics and the understanding of the agencies and all this that were in South Africa uh, when basically when you were forced out. Yeah, well... Uh... What I've got here is I've put together a little bit of uh, uh, little groups of presentations uh, uh, under various titles, which which we can run through. But in response to what you've said, uh, yeah, I uh, I dealt directly with the South African defense people. I certainly was in planes fifty feet above the treetops over Angola. Um, you know, uh, I have vivid recollections of being in South Africa's Western desert, testing out, uh, intelligent ammo, uh, with 155 millimeter howitzers. Very impressive process, by the way. Uh, I certainly sat in the offices of British defense companies, uh, in Britain under very big pictures of Margaret Thatcher. Um, I have been in buildings in Dallas meeting with the United States defense people, etc. So I've been around and lo and behold, I even met my Soviet counterparts, um, which was interesting indeed. And uh, uh, I also met both the South African special forces guys and somehow life took me to a position where I met their Russian special forces counterparts. Um, what can I tell you? Met the defense people of both types of governments in, in South Africa. So if you look at the color of my hair, you'll notice uh, I've been around a while. And uh, I think I've now reached the uh, difficult old codger stage. So you'll have yeah, to. Sure. You don't say that, Harry, because you <laughs> and I are the same age. I don't feel like an old codger, but I do feel like a pissed off senior citizen. How's Look, that? <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll settle for pissed off senior citizen. But uh, I, I will tell you this much. Uh, I have told many people that... I, beyond the Bible, I see the uh, preamble to the U.S. Declaration of Independence as the memo defining the Western world. And uh, it's been an important document to me all my life. Mm -hmm. Well, I see behind you, and you might mention that uh, 
you wrote a, a, a fantastic history of South Africa called Amabulu. And uh, on that, the subtitle is The Birth and Death of the Second America. So really what you said, and let, let's, I, I'm just going to mention this because I know a lot of our listeners know this, but uh, when the Dutch and uh, uh, the settlers uh, landed at the Cape in 1652. It was virtually the same year that uh, they landed on Manhattan Island in New York, and they were the same, basically the same people. Sure. And uh, they, you know, they started South Africa. Uh, and at the time that they landed there, it was how many years, Harry, before they saw their first black African? Uh, well, they landed in 1652, and it was uh, roughly 1702 when a white hunting party met an equivalent black party about 600 miles to the east. And so that that was not the vanguard of the black people. They 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 weren't resident in that particular area at the time. But I I, I can get to that with my little maps and widgets okay. that I have. Yeah, go ahead, go ahead. Let, I'll, I'll turn it over okay. to you. You run the show here. Okay. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to share my screen here and see if this works for the first time properly in my life. And uh, if we're lucky, you should see the globe of the Earth at this point. So yes, just, we do. Okay, excellent. So if you look, you'll see in the top left, there's Vancouver, which is sort of almost over the horizon. And then if you go down southeastwards, you scrape the coast of Guinea and you eventually get to far southern Africa, just across the boundary of the horizon, you'll find a little town called Middleburg. It's called Middleburg because it's in the middle of everywhere, 60 miles to anywhere from there. So uh, that's where I'm from. That's where my family is from. And uh, I wanted to talk about that just a little bit. So give me a minute here to... Um, and and Vancouver, just so our uh, our um, listeners know, you're living in Vancouver now, or just yeah. outside, just north of Vancouver. That's right. Uh, and um, you you basically, over a period of time, you were kind of uh, excommunicated from uh, South Africa because of the position that you held there. Well, let's put it this way. Uh, on a nice day in, what was it, March, April 2000, a representative of what is the government today there uh, told me to my face, no, Harry, you don't understand. Our plan is to get rid of all people like you. That's pretty clear. Is there any word in that sentence you'd like me to clarify, or is it obvious? It's pretty obvious, uh, although there are some intellectually challenged, but I don't think they're in our audience. I think they're probably <laughs> the ones that like to see us go away. So. Yeah, uh, there, there's some people that you 
start this off with something that I call the the drop-dead important points about South Africa, because what I'm going to do is through the course of this morning, I'm going to walk folks from South Africa to the U.S., mm-hmm. okay? And you're going to see how things got from us down there to you. Because I don't think Americans saw it coming in general, and I don't think they recognized it for what it was, and they interpreted a lot of stuff completely wrong. We're about 700 miles away behind the so-called 350 millimeter rainfall line. I will get to a map with that. Um, It took two generations until 1702 before white met black, still some 600 miles between five and 600 east of Cape Town. Um, The next important one, uh, and I will get back to this, no indigenous black South African person was ever enslaved by any white man from anywhere. I'll say that again because every word counts. No indigenous black South African person was ever enslaved by any white man from anywhere. Okay. okay, so I can illustrate that. And now somehow I have to find the control panel for this thing. There we go. Let's see if this works. Hopefully you're seeing a map of Africa. Yep. Well, take a look around the perimeter of this continent. In the north, you see it says the Ottoman Empire. That's not where they were. They were further to the northeast. But they took slaves all along the North African coast. If you look at the east coast, it was the Omani Arabs who did it, all the way down to northern Mozambique. And then you see all these spots around the coast. The white circles were Portugal. The gray ones were Spain. And the black one, I would like to emphasize the black one because this is the one uh, run, it's called Carulus, but it was run by our ever so wonderful goody two-shoes, never do anything wrong, everybody's friend, Sweden. (laughs) Okay? Mm -hmm. Uh, I mean, you know, they they morally lauded over everybody. So let's just make it clear. That was the Swedish station, slaving station. As for France, who gets a lot of stick from everybody, their spot is up here on the west coast of Africa in what is today Senegal. Okay, But the big guys in the slavery business were the Portuguese. Let's take a look at this picture. And you'll see this, I drew two little black lines there. The Portuguese never took any slaves out of the southern tip here. So while the Portuguese are to blame, if you wish, for the slavery that was so rampant in the 1500s up to the 1800s, they never got any slaves out of either Namibia or South Africa. Hmm. And just for the record, for those who want to know, the single nation in Africa who was most subjected to slavery the Ovumbundu tribe from southern Angola. So that's from here. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of 
that's kind of significant for a, for a weird reason, which I'd like to get to. And that is, if you look at the next picture, so let me just make that one big as well. Um, you'll see a map of Europe and Africa, and there's all kinds of colors and things on it, and hopefully it's visible. You need to tell me now and then, Dan. No, you look good. Yeah. Okay, cool. And you'll see a big green splotch on the United Kingdom and another orange one in Northwestern Europe and even as far as Ukraine and Belarus. And then peculiarly, this big yellow blob on Angola. Well, this is my DNA map. You hmm. see, unlike Nelson Mandela, I'm the one with the slave ancestors. <laughs> uh, I love it. And I can do this map for almost every white Afrikaner in South Africa. That's what I am. Like you We're are. not going to pay you reparations, Harry. I want you to know that. <laughs> I'm not asking for reparations, folks. I'm, I'm just merely saying that, <laughs> mm -hmm. that uh, I just love the irony of all of this, after all these years of taking stick from everybody about this, and you'll hear me refer to this a bit later on, like Canadians who wanted to know from me, Harry, how big was your slave mansion? Okay, wow. and you, you listen to that, you swallow twice, you go off, drink some cold water, you simmer down, and you just say to yourself, you SOB, I'm going to get you. Mm -hmm. So... Well. And I know your humble beginnings, and I know uh, I actually had a chance to talk several times with your your mother before she passed, and I know just exactly how down to earth and and what a humble uh, background you come from. So I was going to show you some of that. So if you guys will and your audience will tolerate me running something of a slideshow here, sure. Um, it takes me to, you remember I said about the 350 millimeter rainfall line. Well, I would like to uh, just fix this up. Here we go. And that should work right now. Mm -hmm. So you should see the same Southern Africa now. I'm focusing down on Southern Africa. We do. Yep. And you should see a dotted green line stretching across there. That dotted green line is the 350 millimeter rainfall line. Now, with all due respect to my friends in uh, New York and so forth, I don't really expect them to understand the significance of 350 millimeters of rainfall. But you're out in Montana, and I'm sure a lot of your listeners are in the drier parts of the United States, and they would tell you that 350 millimeters is roughly the kind of rainfall per annum that you need to sustain grass of the kind of length that uh, cattle can have. Mm -hmm. And again, for my New York friends and the general liberal hangers on who think that meat is made in a butchery, <laughs> uh, you know, the, this idea that it comes from animals must be a shock to them. Um, 
cows eat grass differently from what sheep eat plants. Okay? They essentially, they are grazers, whereas goats, for example, are browsers. Goats will eat anything. Goats will eat you out of every damn thing you got. And when they finish that, they'll eat your clothes off your wire. And if they run out of that, they'll climb a tree and they'll eat the bark off the tree at the very top. That's a goat. That's why you want to keep goats out of Africa if you can do it. But cattle. And why is this important? Well, because the black cultures of Africa, all pretty much all, rely on cattle. That's the basis of their culture. And it's not even the meat. It's the milk. They make all their food almost from that milk little bit of sowing of corn and so forth. So next important point is you see a warm current on the East Coast going down here on the East, and you see a cold current going up. It's the reverse of your hemisphere, the Northern Hemisphere. In the Southern Hemisphere, the warm currents flow South and the cold currents flow North. In both hemispheres, the warm currents flow away from the equator and the cold currents flow towards the equator. And that's what you see here. So just as in the US, there's a warm current on the East Coast, there's a cold current on the West Coast, you've got subtropical stuff on the East Coast, you've got desert on the West Coast, directly as a result of those currents. If you look at some of the stuff I've written here, it shows desert, 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 semi-desert. That's everything to the left of that green line. To the right of the line, you see 6,000-foot freezing winter prairie. So, yes, there's a prairie in South Africa. There it is, complete with its corn and its cattle. And then you have this thing called the Great African Sand Basin up here. And even though it gets quite a bit of rain, the rain just sinks into the sand. There's no surface water, except for one weird oddity, and that is that a lot of rivers out of Angola drain into a single swamp that's known as the Okavango Swamp up here in Botswana. It's just a mm. great wildlife place that everybody knows about. And there is enough water to be on the surface. Okay. So that's enough of geography and climate. If you want to know what it looks like to the West, and this features in my own life, it looks something like this. Now, the closest thing that I know on Earth to that is Nevada. And, and Southern Arizona. Southern absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Southern Arizona and uh, Nevada, I've been to both, and I can tell you I stopped my car uh, somewhere between Caliente and uh, Tenopa in, 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 in uh, that part of the world, and it smelt the same way. It doesn't just look the same way. It smells the same way. It's the dust that does it. Okay? Mm -hmm. Right. If you want to know what it looks like to the east of all of that, it's... Ah, uh, that wasn't supposed to show, but here we go. Mm -hmm. That's what it looks like to the east. Rather different, right? Mm -hmm. So as history progressed, um, well, let me go back to this map first. You'll see down here in this general area, just to the left of the dotted green line, there's a river. It's the Fish River. 
and I'm going to show you what happened there. There you go, Fish River. This is the Cape Colony in 1829, this red thing. Mm -hmm. And here you can see how the black people moved. They came in from the northeast, they settled here, and then some of them went back up to the north. Like uh, Shoshangan, he went up here and he terrorized the Portuguese, eventually defeated them, and the Portuguese paid tribute to him. Okay? Mm -hmm. And so this line here, this 350 millimeter rainfall line and the rivers that are mostly along it, that is the long-time historic border between black and white in Africa. Uh, if you want to see what the effect of that was, here you can see a more detailed version of that rainfall distribution on the left. On the right, you can see the distribution of black people and the so-called colored people or uh, Khoisan people of South Africa. Um, it's so close to that rainfall line, it, it, you know, you got to be kidding me. It could just as well be the same thing. Mm -hmm. So that's always been the divide. If you want to see it in terms of language, here it is. Okay, that's uh, Germanic language percentage, mostly Afrikaans, which is a Dutch derivative. That's the green patch. And then the bit that's not colored in would be the various black languages. And so you can see how the central patch in the east, the high country, how there's a lot of uh, white folks there, to be blunt. Whether they're English-speaking or Afrikaans-speaking doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. yeah, and then the, the picture that accidentally jumped up just because I know it does wrongly tantalize people. Yes, folks, it does snow in South Africa. That is the part of the world that I come from. And to show you the contrast, you see the snow-covered mountain. My folks farmed on top of that mountain further along. And you can see a vervet monkey down here in the front. Okay, That sort of typical of that part of the world it uh it's sort of uh, a, a, a land of contrasts i'm just trying to kill off some of these things before they completely dominate everything okay um i wanted to move on and tell you just a little bit about uh, the folks who came before me, that's my grandfather on a horse on in the farm that he managed back in about 1940, 39, 1940. Uh, tough guy. But really, I wanted to get to this picture, which you will recognize. Mm -hmm. And that is Cecil John Rhodes standing with his one foot at the Cape and the other foot at Cairo. This comes from Punch Magazine, and near the end of the 1800s, with, with Cecil John Rhodes trying to take over the entire Africa, and after that, the world. So that led to my folks in Middleburg ending up standing here in front of the church where I would eventually be baptized. These men are being sentenced to death by the British Army. You can see them there in their pith helmets. Um, 
they were protesting as rebels now, they were protesting the fact that the following picture was happening further north to their family. This is what it looked like inside a British concentration camp in Bloemfontein. Yes, obviously the girl died. That is a little girl. 30,000 of them died in those camps. But in the end, that war came to an end. South Africa became part of the British Empire. And that is how my father-in-law ended up as a Spitfire pilot in World War II over the Mediterranean. But uh, the plane that you see here, I think anybody who knows aircraft will tell you instantly that is not a Spitfire. Mm -hmm. um, it's not a Mustang. It's not a P-4. ME-109. Yep. It's an ME-109. Mm -hmm. Okay. But peculiarly, look at the roundel on the wing. That one was captured from Rommel, and my father-in-law qualified on that plane. So that's why he had that picture taken with the inscription below saying, me and my 109. Hmm. Okay. That same ME-109 is still hanging in the South African uh, War Museum, and you can see it on the right, restored to its original colors. It was originally Rommel's... Uh, Vice Six, White Six from uh, Hunter Squadron 53, or as the Germans would say, Jachtgeschwader 53. So um, that, those are the people who kind of led to me, okay? And, and uh, Harry, I'm going to inter intercede here just for one second uh, to remind our listeners that uh, concentration camps weren't a an invention of the Nazis. They were an invention of the British in South Africa in the war, uh, the Boer War, in uh, 1898 to 19, uh, 1900. And uh, they, they actually captured many of the families of the guys who were uh, fighting as uh, Boer troops against the British, they kept, they went in and they took their families out of their farms, out of their homes, and put them in concentration camps where they starved and abused them to death. Yeah, okay. there's a there's a lot of denial of that stuff, but I'm afraid it's true, and they. Uh... Yeah, I'm, I'm just killing off pictures here. Um, that's the reality of what happened, I'm afraid. Now, the reason I'm showing you a train is that my mother grew up in that part of the world uh, where these men were sentenced to death. My father further south, but uh, he joined the railways, and this is one of the trains that ran on his shift. And uh, eventually they moved to the huge, big metropolis of Port Elizabeth. Now, that's a name that all of you would understand. Uh, but they've renamed it now to Okay, amazing. I'm supposed to be very thrilled about having my hometown renamed by the communists to Okay, Come on, Dan, you try and pronounce it. Go for it. See what Don't it even want to think about it. Yep. <laughs> I, I, imagine pony being renamed to Schnaklinka, mm -hmm. right? Okay. Yeah, yeah. 
Okay, welcome to my life. So, um, the slave mansion I grew up looked like grew up in looked like that. Mm-hmm. That lintel across the front here, my mother helped my dad mix up the concrete to make that lintel. And my dad put on that roof. That was the first time we had a house that had an indoor toilet. Previously, we rented two rooms, and I was born into those two rooms. And then we moved here. We're really going up in the world at this point, you know. Sure looks like a slave mansion to me. Uh, that that was our slave mansion, boys. Where are all my Canadian friends now? The ones that uh, asked me how big the slave mansion was. Mm-hmm. I just swallowed that, had cold water, and eventually flew down to South Africa and went and took a picture personally of the slave mansion. It's well, you might has- remind them that your slave mansion was nowhere nearly as big as their gall. Yeah. (laughs) So I should mention that the picture was taken from what I call the grassy knoll, and that's the grassy knoll. And, yeah, obviously I know about the grassy knoll. Uh, You'll hear why just now. So a picture of the house was taken from this little knob, this... uh, grassy knoll. And that's where my mother took me at the age of uh, three and a bit, uh, one evening, one night. And she took me on her arm and pointed out a star to me. And that star was moving. It was so cool. And uh, she said, guys called scientists put it there. And it's called Sputnik. And from that moment, I knew I was going to be a scientist and not a farmer like my grandfather and not a railway engineer like my father wanted me to become. So since my mother worked at a book distribution company or a magazine distribution company, she brought me all kinds of things like Scientific American, News Scientist, but also Time Magazine, Newsweek, and Life. And for years the copy of life um, with these pictures uh, stood on my shelf in my room. So I knew all about Kennedy. I knew about the Profumo business in England. I knew about Commander Crabbe being killed in England. I knew about Gary Powers being shot down. I even knew about the cyanide capsule. I was all of six years old. Eventually finished school, went off to university, and I'm going to show you this picture for a very odd reason. This is my graduation ceremony. I got my PhD that night. That's me on the far left. My wife is on the far right. We we got hammered over the head the same night. But more importantly, let's see if this thing will work. Yeah, here we go. Do you recognize by any chance this gentleman? Oh, sure. Absolutely. Uh, Ian Smith. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So he was given a honorary doctorate that night at our university. So I ended up shaking hands with him. Quite an honor. I've got his uh, signed copy of his book. 
Okay, so I thought this would be a good point at which to stop sharing my screen and irritating people with pictures of my graduation. Okay, <laughs> it's really just a cue to show you Ian Smith. Mm -hmm. Okay, um, Dan, I'm I'm all yours. I'm armed to the teeth with further other things that that go to more important matters like war and terrorism and stuff like that and pictures of Trudeau with Fidel Castro and mm -hmm. things. Well, like that. Harry, first of all, uh, thank you. And that was a really, really good lead in because it did show the fact that uh, although the uh, ANC and, and now the black uh, South Africa of uh, 2023 claims that uh, the the uh, Afrikaans, the the, uh, the Dutch farmers uh, came in and stole the land from them uh, and and took over the continent. You show very clearly that it's quite the opposite. And well, that uh, if it had not been for those Dutch farmers and and the uh, I guess I would have to call uh, creating the bread breadbasket of South Africa as long as well as Rhodesia, which is now uh, Zimbabwe. Yeah. Um, if it had not been for the the uh, European settlers there, there wouldn't be a breadbasket there, and there certainly would not be a very, very industrialized society. That's where I want you to uh, kind of explain how South Africa went from being a, a very agricultural uh, kind of a agricultural backwater, as it were, and became one of the more industrialized societies in the world. I mean, at one time, according to the statistics I've seen, South Africa was the number 17 uh, uh, wealthiest economy in the world at one time. Yeah. Well, uh, gold tends to help. Oh, yeah. Just like oil tends to help today. So if, if you look at places like Libya and you, you look at their GDP and so forth, it's enormous. Okay. But the, the people remained poor. In South Africa, uh, the historically, um, maybe I could go back. To, well, no, forget the pictures. Um, I showed you that red patch that was the Cape Colony. Mm -hmm. uh, the... the I can give you hours of story about how the Brits screwed up things, mm -hmm. but eventually my ancestors could take no more and they fled with their ox wagons and they fled north into so-called darkest Africa. And they went north over the first river and then over the second river, settled those two areas. Um, the, the first batch was unoccupied the second patch there were people but they had fled they had fled the marauding zulus mm -hmm. and and offshoots of the zulus who had terrorized that part of the world and um you can i i can show you descriptions by french missionaries where they talk about how as far as they go with their ox wagon the fields are just covered in human skeletons. Mm -hmm. 
and how they are struggling to 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 avoid running over the skeletons with their wagons. Wow, that's how bad it was. People were driven into the mountains, and uh, 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 yeah, well, okay. So uh, and the the rest into the desert, into the west, into this area, moved these settlers. And of course, when they established peace everywhere, folks started to come back, and now they wanted everything back, but they never did the fighting. Mm-hmm. You know, there, there, there needs to be some sort of an equitable, equitable arrangement here somewhere, because our guys did the fighting and dying. So uh, nevertheless, that's how the central eastern part of the country got populated with white people. But the fact is that the way that people then dribbled back into the area, they started to outpopulate white folks, and that's the South Africa of today. Now, the Brits did their level best to keep those folks away from the coast because they didn't want them to have any port ever. And the guys on my side of the debate put it on record that wherever there is ocean, there will eventually be Brits with ships and cannon. Mm -hmm. It is inevitable. That is who they are. It's what they are. It's what they do. They can't help themselves. They will do that. It's just who they are. It's in the DNA. It can't be helped. It's unavoidable. Don't even try and go to the sea. There's going to be an Englishman with a cannon and a ship. Okay. Okay. And we can't fight them with just a few thousand people. Now, so they were confined to the interior, or as the one British governor said, it would be better for everybody that these people should be confined to the wastes of the interior where they can do us no damage. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, it turns out that somebody discovered diamonds in the wastes of the interior. And gold. Fact, mm-hmm. Yeah, first the diamonds, and uh, as a result of that, a young man named Cecil John Rhodes went there with bad lungs and a great uh, aspiration to control the planet. Um, and then sometime later in the 1880s, gold was discovered, and then all hell descended on South Africa. And because the British government wanted the gold, they decided, well, we need a war with those chaps down there. We, we cannot have these boars sit there and uh, control this gold, but it is rightfully ours. Since we are the closest thing to God, we should have it. Okay. All the farmers wanted to do is, you know, run their cattle ranches. That That's all they wanted. They couldn't care less about this gold. It didn't feed them. So um, in the end, the, the Brits got their war. <laughs> they first tried to invade with a, with a, a thing called the Jemison Raid, but the Buddha, as we are called, saw them coming, defeated this whole thing. And as fate would have it, my family was on one side and my wife's family was actually part of the, the invasion mm-hmm. at the time. Uh, her guy got wounded and captured. So in the end, they were all given back to Britain, and the Brits said, "Mm, yes. So what we'll do is we'll engineer a war, and then we'll let the guy who led that invasion run the place anyway. 
Okay, that's only the right thing to do if you are a proper imperial Englishman. Always mm -hmm. see to it that your invading general gets proper medals and kinds of stuff. So they uh, they set up their war, and lo and behold, they lost all the set piece battles because this bunch of farmers could outshoot them and could outthink them and could outmaneuver them and were far better tacticians than they were, infinitely better. I mean, the Brits were laughable, quite frankly. The British army of the late 1800s was a freaking joke. Um, the ineptitude is just unbelievable. So, uh, but in the end, if you send 400,000 soldiers from your entire empire, including Rhodesia and Australia and New Zealand and Canada, and you send every single unit that you have in your army, except for a group of Lancers in London. You literally send everybody. Mm -hmm. Okay. Then maybe, maybe, just maybe, you with your odds now 10 to 1, mm -hmm. you can defeat this collection of farmers and their sons, particularly if you put their women and children in concentration exactly. camps. Exactly. So as to starve them from, uh, uh, you know, to, to keep the men from getting food from any farm or anything like that. Okay. So in the end, this thing was settled and now the Brits were in charge and they got the gold. I mean, that's what it was about. They got the diamonds and they got the gold. Okay. I mean, as they saw it, God always meant for them to have the diamonds and the gold. That's why he put it there. Which uh, Harry incidentally funded... Uh, Cecil Rhodes and his uh, favorite toady, uh, Lord Milner, who ended up uh, uh, being the, the guy that headed uh, the, uh, uh, well, they called it the, the inner circle. <laughs> uh, but yeah, anyway, I'm sorry. I, I have to throw that in. So. So now, a small appeal to your listening public here is that did you just hear Dan steal my thunder there? <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. God, I, I got to keep my mouth shut. I just, I've read the books. I know the history. <laughs> he, he chomped his teeth directly into my punchline. <laughs> okay, go ahead. Sorry, you do it, and it'll sound better anyway. <laughs> do I sound like I'm upset? Uh Okay, so no, and, and, and as you said, and and that funded roads, it funded everything. I mean, after all, originally when the Brits started their war, they said it would be over by Christmas, having started it in September. It would be over by Christmas, and the riches of the Transvaal would amply pay for any of the costs of the war. So this is a this war is a really good investment. Wow. Okay. Now, I'll have you know that at the time, the New York Times was already around. And while people will tell you that it used to be a really good newspaper with excellent people, let the record reflect that uh, in 1900, when the concentration camps were formed, the New York Times published an article claiming that the women can play as much tennis all day long as they please in those camps. Mm -hmm. 
That even was, though they're not, uh, they're not uh, fed and they're, they're dying yeah. of malnutrition. They're dying. Mm-hmm. They're dying. But no, no, they can play tennis all day long. I don't think any of them even knew what tennis was. Okay, so that's it. So now for my sort of next episode, if I may, in in setting this up, I need to go to some other pictures here. And uh, let's see if you recognize this. We go. Recognize that? Yeah, a little Fidel. Uh Uh-huh, I do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Big Fidel and little Fidel. Yes, little Fidel. That actually, uh, unfortunately for my story, that is not Justin, but it's his late brother. Mm. I always thought it was Justin, but it might just as well have been him. He 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 fits even better into Fidel's bed, you know. But mm-hmm. I can tell you that literally the Trudeaus drooled on Fidel Castro, as you can see there. Mm-hmm. Okay. So this should hardly be a, a surprise. Um, now somehow I have lost my. There we go. Um, that picture was taken in 1976 in uh, in Cuba when Trudeau visited there, mm-hmm. and it was at the end of the first Angolan War when Kissinger begged us to go in there and help, we did. And then once we were inside your Congress, uh, uh, did the Clark Amendment, and the CIA pulled out and left our guys stranded there. Mm-hmm. And so incidentally, that- the, the Cubans were the uh, troops that were sent to Angola to um, yeah. basically fight the, the the South Africans. Well, they were sent first to help make sure that the MPLA became the government, and then, then Kissinger got hold of our folks and said, we, we, we need help. In fact, a whole bunch of African countries asked us to go in there. And Kissinger records how surprised he was at the degree to which South Africa actually had working relationships with African countries further north. Mm-hmm. Anyway, that's a long history. We don't have the time to go into that. Next, for by way of calibration, you used the word communist earlier. My life took me to New York, both the city and the state, and uh, went to live in Westchester County because I, I worked at IBM. And today, here I sit because I don't know where to stick my head because I worked for a while, for a year, uh, in the same county that that Ocasio-Cortez creature now represents. Mm-hmm. Okay, that is not a tag I'd like around my neck. But at IBM, in my office, I shared that teensy-weensy office with a communist Danish engineering professor. And obviously, South Africa became the subject. And then one day, he finally told me, you are a sick anachronism. You are a blot on the name of Europe. You should just die. 
and he was very white and oh, very yeah. tall. Yes. And, <laughs> yeah. The only thing he still lacked was the classic Viking horn dome on his head. Stick it out of his head. A six foot foot something Viking Dane, okay, who had, uh, he'd never met uh, an African person. He'd never met a black American, okay. He confessed to me that he drove through Harlem and he felt he had to wind up his windows on his car. Wow. You know, he feels a shy. I feel ashamed that I had to do that. You know, um, but mm. this is what he says to me without understanding anything. You're a sick anachronism. So let's analyze those words. A sick anachronism. So it's something in the past. Anachronism is something that's out of time and place. So I'm out of time and place. So clearly, I'm reminding him of something in the past, but it has to be his past. So there's something in his past that I'm reminding him of. Hmm. I wonder what that could be. Mm-hmm. Then wonder how Nazi that could be, huh? You are a blot on the name of Europe. Who the hell was talking about Europe? Was talking about South Africa. Aha, mm-hmm. uh-huh. I think I'm seeing a pattern here. And then lastly, the sentence, you should just die. Okay. Now, that impressed the hell out of me. I was a bright-eyed and bushy-tailed 25-year-old young PhD, recently minted. Okay, here's a guy who's 10 years my senior, and this is what he says to me? So that is the day that I got calibrated as regards socialists, liberals, communists, you, you call them. I met one that was all of those, and I saw into his soul, mm-hmm. and it was... Or lack of, yeah. What I smelt in there was sick. Mm-hmm. Okay, It wasn't me that was a sick anachronism. It's he who was sick. And the only thing I could think of telling him at the time, because he, he, he stood up to race out of the office in a great fluff and huff and puff and anger, and I told him, you know, that's odd, I don't feel that way about you. <laughs> For which my friends commended me, but that doesn't help, doesn't solve anything. Mm-hmm. So I want to show you this building, because... While I was in New York, my mother moved to Durban, some 600 miles or 500 miles further from Port Elizabeth, up the coast in the subtropical East Coast. She became manager for that book distribution company and uh, for the whole Natal province and some more. And she went to live right in the middle of this building, about two-thirds of the way up just there where my cursor hopefully He's displaying at this point. Okay. Mm -hmm. And on 23 December 1985, Nelson Mandela's guys bombed that building. This is what it looks like. This is what children look like when a bomb goes off next to them. Okay. Mm The man who planted that bomb 
His name was Andrew Zondo. Nelson Mandela's government renamed the street past the building to Andrew Zondo Road. Do you understand? Pretty good idea, doesn't it? I trust for those decent Americans who are listening. Imagine having uh, the building that was blown up. Uh, rena- the street in front in, in the U.S. renamed to Timothy McVeigh Street. Okay, mm-hmm. so they renamed it to uh, to Andrew Zondo Street. And in case anybody who is listening does not believe me, please be my guest. Go to Google Maps, look up Amanzim Toti. Increase the resolution so you can see the street names well enough, and you will find Andrew Zondo Street. Okay? It's real. Mm -hmm. Harry, um, just so our listeners know, and I'm I'm sure some of them do, but I I think some don't, what was Nelson Mandela's official role with the ANC, and why was he imprisoned and what were the uh, the agreements that the, that uh, apartheid government uh, struck with him that if he did certain things that he would be let out of prison? Let's just you know, I'm I'm kind of leading okay. that one in, but go ahead. Right. Okay. Let me retrace history just a tad. I was born on 16 December 1953, almost exactly a year before that. Nelson Mandela, at that point, a leading light in the ANC, already tasked uh, a friend by the name of Raymond Mtslaba to speak to the Red Chinese on a visit he was holding there to get weapons. So much for the angel of peace and mercy, right? Mm -hmm. Okay, so time moves on. They had various bomb explosions and things that happened during the 50s, but they really targeted things like substations and so forth. Then they didn't target people. Then in the uh, 1960 era, uh, early 60s, they decided that it is time to become a full military operation. Nelson Mandela himself had been made the chief of Umkonte with Siswe, Spear of the Nation, which is the military operation of the ANC. So he became the military chief. Shall I repeat that? This angel who sits at the right hand of God, supposedly, who walks on water, became the head of the military of the ANC. He went to Ethiopia, where he was trained in matters military at an Al-Qaeda-like camp that they held there, okay? Mm-hmm. And he came back fully trained in how to make bombs and all that kind of stuff. Okay, having returned to South Africa, um, they started on their spree, they started planning uh, 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 
I forget now what they what the, what they called the operation, but it was going to involve landing some of their men infiltration groups via Russian submarines off the coast of South Africa. One of those landings would be at my hometown of Port Elizabeth, which was always a target. All the rough stuff happened there because it was the Detroit of South Africa. So, um, and like I said before, it's it's right on that boundary, that 350 millimeter rainfall line where black met white, that's where my hometown was. So everything happened there. Um, he came back into South Africa and someone gave them away. They found out about the stuff. The police uh, caught most of the guys and they eventually caught Mandela in Natal. Story goes that the CIA actually briefed the South African government on it. I have no evidence that that's true, but that keeps on being the story these days. Certainly the CIA worked quite closely with the South African security services. There's no doubt about that. That I have a lot of evidence of. Um, but that they, that they gave Mandela away, I have no evidence of that. Now, Mandela along with the other guys, then went to trial in 1964. It's known as the Ravonia trial because all of the other guys were captured at a, a rich white farmhouse in a leafy suburb of Ravonia, sort of a area where you had farms intermingled with houses. Um, a lot of them were... Uh, <laughs> They were people of, people get angry when I say this, but it's the truth. Uh, a number of them were Jewish folks who were either attorneys or newspaper people, and they were to a large degree of Lithuanian descent. Okay, so the, the Lithuanian Jewish community in South Africa has always been very active. And in fact, the South African Communist Party was originally created out of their league, so to speak, okay? Back in 1919 or whatever, 1920. One of the oldest communist parties on earth. So he went to trial. He was found guilty. Um, people always make much of the speech that he gave, but uh, the, the Roman Dutch law that we have in South Africa actually allows the... Uh, the person being sentenced to to make a speech and that cannot be invoked in his sentencing. So um, he, he was not such a hero for making that speech as what people make it out to be. Um, he was sentenced to life in prison and went off to Robben Island, which is in Table Bay. Um, now, you wanted to know uh, how did that, happened that's the story behind mandela ending up there because quite frankly ladies and gentlemen he's a terrorist and i don't care whether you believe it or not i have the facts mm -hmm. okay now the day that this bomb explosion happened that you're seeing on the screen um my mother was not at the shop because this this is this is her grocery shop right this is where she gets her food every night uh, but a few weeks later, they tried again. Having drawn blood, this is now clearly a target they got to go for. 
So it's not like they made an accident or had an accident. They tried again. So this time, uh, my mother was standing in the shop, and the next moment, two policemen rushed up to her, grabbed her under both arms, and ran with her. And they ran her right out of the building. And they told her, you were standing right next to a bomb. <laughs> wow. <clears throat> okay. Now, the man, since Mandela was in jail, the guy, uh, but, but he's still in full communication with his buddies. So Mandela's in jail. The man directly running the military show is Joe Modise. Now, I would like to introduce Joe Modise to you, but I'm way too late because Bill Clinton did it. Hmm. That, if you don't recognize it, is the west entrance of the uh, of the Pentagon. Hmm. Wow. There's one too many shadow on the ground there. If you look carefully, there's one for Medice, there's one for the officer. The last one is William Cohen's shadow. Oh, really? Hmm. Okay, because I know because I got the other pictures. Mm-hmm. So that's Joe Medice, hmm. the man who damn near killed my mother. I show his ugly bug because I eventually had to shake hands with him. Oh, you're kidding. Wow. I'm not kidding. The At this point, 1995, 10 years later, I'm the head of a R&D operation. I get a call, can I please go to the conference center? Uh, they have a visitor who would like to meet with me. And uh, I will be joined by one other colleague of the same management level as myself. He's in uh, a lot of electronic warfare, microwave gear. Uh, I'm in a lot of infrared stuff and other types of microwave. And uh, we get to the conference center. We don't know what it's about. And this conference center has like a concertina door. And then on one side, they're having a meal and me and my colleagues standing on the other side in the sort of meeting area. The next moment, the concertina door opens, out comes walking the president of our organization and next to him, Joe Medice. That was Joe Medice's uh, uh, um, secretary of... Secretary, he's Secretary of Defense. Okay. At this Secretary point. Secretary of Defense, okay. Right? He's Secretary of Defense now. Hmm. In your terminology, in British terminology, Minister of Defense. Mm-hmm. Oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. The Brits call it Minister of War, but they recently changed that. <laughs> okay. Uh, and this is a guy that set the bomb that almost blew. No, no, up. no, 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 no. This is the guy who sent the guy that said. That. I see. Okay. This is the big military chief of the ANC <laughs> who has now become big military chief of the country. So he sticks his hand out. I sort of look at him. I shake his hand, but I don't know what my face looked like because for the rest of that meeting, he only looked at me. He must have detected that he's shaken the hand of the devil or something. (laughs) And, uh, well, after all, I mean, the world has explained to you that we white South Africans are monsters, horrors, and devils, and Lord knows what else. I must be one. 
So uh, looks at me and he, and I'll never forget the words. And he said, boys, now you've got to help me. The Brits are trying to screw us. Hmm. Quote, unquote. And it had to do with the sale of the Roy Falk helicopter made by South Africa to Britain. Britain wanted that helicopter, but they wanted American avionics. And the Americans wouldn't sell the avionics unless the Brits bought American helicopters. I see. Okay. So, yeah, your your defense industry knows how to strong arm the, the planet without shooting one bullet. Um, obviously, the sale fell through. But way back in 1985, just so to get you guys calibrated, those are all the bombs ex that exploded near where my mother lived. Okay? See those? Not one of them made your news. Mm -hmm. Not one. Mm -hmm. Because it doesn't fit the script. The script is that Nelson Mandela is an angel of God sentenced wrongly to prison. All he ever did was nice. He only hugged babies. He never trained in Ethiopia. He never planted bombs. He was never the head of the military wing. And, of course, he never was a communist. Despite, <laughs> I've got the picture the, of him standing with Joe Slovo. Slovo, exactly. Below you know. the hammer and sickle with his clenched right fist. Yeah, but, guys, you, you need to understand, you know, and, and I, I think maybe this is where I should stop sharing again because – I, I, I do need to explain that uh, you need to understand that the, the people who were telling you that are the people who told you that the ladies could play tennis all day mm -hmm. in the concentration camps. And the really big problem for me is not that they told you that. It's that most folks in the U.S. believe that. Yeah, yeah. Okay, how 330 million people with the most money in the world and the best universities can be so damn stupid, I don't understand. Well, they aren't the best universities, I have to tell you. They're the best if you want to learn uh, Frankfurt School Marxist ideology. But yeah. if you uh, w want free enterprise and you want to learn how to be a good uh, free market capitalist, they're about the worst universities in the world. <laughs> well, um, you sure as hell can turn them out there. I, I Some days I don't know what to tell you. But, uh, okay, I just need to. Well, Harry, I do you happen to have in your uh, in in your uh, PowerPoint or in the uh, screen share stuff? Do you happen to have a picture of uh, Winnie Mandela, the lady so famous yeah. for necklacing so many of her black African uh, counterparts and uh, lighting them on fire with uh, tires filled full of gasoline? <sighs> No, unfortunately, Dan, I was still madly scrambling late last night to put all my <laughs> pictures together, and that witch didn't make it to the top of my list at that mm -hmm. time. Well, but, I just uh, had to mention it because, uh, you know, uh, Nelson Mandela, the the uh, most wonderful, kindest man in the world, was yeah. also married to 
uh, a woman who burned people alive, and they were mostly black people, yeah, burned no. them alive with uh, a tire full, filled full of gasoline around their neck. And uh, it was because they were trying to work with the Afrikaans people and not yeah. uh, be enemies of your people. Right. No, 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 no. If, if, if you were white, you were bombed. If you were black, a gasoline-soaked tire was put around your neck and it was set alight while people dance around you and laugh at you as you scream in agony in your death. Mm-hmm. That's how it works. That makes sure that everybody will support you. And if you're black, you shut up and you toe the line. You need to understand that's what communists do. And particularly in Africa, you've got a mixture of communism and base savagery like you have nowhere else on earth. Okay, You think the Russians are bad at the moment with how they're handling things in Ukraine? You ain't seen nothing yet. But, you know, Sharing a screen again, I should tell you that uh, this is typically what it looked like in Soweto and those places in 1986 when all those bombs were going off. Uh, but Dan, I, I do notice that something's off about this picture. It absolutely looks like South Africa 1986, but hang on a second. Those automatic rifles that the guys have got there on the top of that roof, that doesn't look quite right. Hmm. And while the vehicle does have a V-hull and definitely has South African technology... It has Martin Luther King v, uh, a Boulevard on it, uh, uh, on the street sign, that's for sure. Well, what the hell do you know? It's actually Ferguson, Missouri. Now, why would I think that it looks just like South Africa? You know, South Africa's problems are never going to get to you. You're mm-hmm. safe behind your ocean. It's protected you all these centuries, like it protected you on 9-11. Okay? And every, everybody loves uh, freedom and capitalism and the right to say and do uh, what you believe and and the ability to make decisions for yourself. Every American loves that, right? Yeah, Yeah, and I I just realized the sandy-colored military boots also give the guys away. Mm -hmm. So, no, 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 this this is Missouri. This is Ferguson, Missouri, in in, in 2014. Sorry. Okay. I had to do that. You'll understand, I'm sure. But... uh, Therewith, I end my, uh, it's not the end of all my slides, but uh, for now. So, Well, I know somewhere there you've got a picture of uh, uh, showing um, uh, Malema uh, stirring up the mobs, uh, yelling and singing, Kill the boar, kill the boar. Uh, If if you've got one of those, pull it up. Uh, Well, uh, I actually have it, but uh, can I give you one slide just before I get to that? I don't have have the video, but I I have a series of things I can show you. Mm -hmm. It's your show, buddy. (laughs) No, it's yours. I'm just... No, no, I'm I'm just adding color. (laughs) 
<laughs> no, no pun intended. Uh, so this is the South African president, Cyril Ramaphosa. Mm -hmm. The great hope of all liberals in South Africa. Excuse me while I laugh. Um, you notice that there's a tweet by, by Trump back in 2018. It says, I've asked the Secretary of State, that's Mike Pompeo, to closely study the South Africa land and farm seizures and expropriations and the large-scale killing of farmers. All true. South African government is now seizing land from white farmers, he quotes Tucker Carlson, which, well, they didn't seize it, they were trying to seize it. Yeah, that's how net newspaper people work. Well, and then Ramaphosa responds, I think it was at the World Economic Forum or on a visit to Washington, he says, I can assure you there are no killings of the white farmers in South Africa. There are no killings of white farmers in South Africa. But that's interesting. Um, it's kind of weird because... Um, I'm sure you've got some come, of the same pictures I have. Yeah. How, come, how come your buddy in Parliament, Julius Malema, is yelling to audiences like that, uh, uh, you know, Bulala Amabulu, which means kill the white people. And then when he is interviewed, he says, we are not calling for the slaughter of white people. At least not for now. <laughs> okay. So, okay, I guess I'll just go and get a Coke and wait or a cup of coffee and call for it later. Meanwhile, back at the farm, this is what's happening. Mm -hmm. Okay. So folks want to know what this looks like. And Dan, you know, I put up some pictures at that uh, Red Bull conference a few years ago. Mm -hmm. It clearly shocked people. Um, I vividly recall that evening that you all, you had everybody out for a dinner. Two ladies who attended uh, came running up to me, tears in the eyes, hugging me. And the, the one couldn't even speak. She just looked at me. The other one just said, those poor, poor, poor people. Well, that's pretty much the only reaction I got out of the U.S. ever on the subject, other than talking to you, one or two other uh, video people. But that's Malema in the middle, so you can see his mug clearly. Top left, that's what they do to older people so they can't walk and go and ask for help, having been attacked. And Not incidentally, Harry, uh, the, a lot of the uh, uh, white farmers, their wives are literally being uh, brutalized and beaten, but they're also being raped to death. Yes. There's nothing that has not been done to them. Okay. Uh, Katie, uh, what's her name? The British lady. Ah, I forget now, but she went over to South Africa to go and investigate. And they, oh, yeah. turf, they, sorry. 
No, I, I, I remember. I'm trying to think of her name, but I know yeah. who you're talking about. Yes. And they, 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 they turfed her out of the country saying she's inciting racial violence. Mm -hmm. Excuse me, what is this that you're seeing here? That's a white cross for every farmer that's been killed. Okay? So I don't really understand any of that. So one day after yet another farm murder, the farmers got upset and they stormed the, the courthouse. And uh, next week, uh, it was decided to hold a rally in the town of Sienekal. And the EFF, that's Malema's people, sent his Red Brigade down there to go and confront the farmers. Now, this is what it looked like. This is a clip from a video. I took this clip from a video. Well, not clip, this picture from a video. I want you to notice this guy. I can't breathe. <laughs> Dan? Mm-hmm. Your guys, the left in your country, and the ANC is joined by the umbilical, my friend. Mm -hmm. Do you see this? Mm -hmm. This does not happen by accident. Do you understand that? Mm -hmm. This kind of thing does not happen by accident. And that is why I know, I study this stuff. I can tell you that in 2015, the statues came down in South Africa and I put it on record that this was gonna happen in the US. In 2017, it did, 27 and 18. But in terms of getting help, uh, there was not much forthcoming. This is a guy, uh, is a veteran. They dressed up in their old uniforms and went to this rally where the EFF and they confronted one another. And this guy just stood there like a rock, okay, with this mob screaming in his face. And he just stood his ground, which I thought was so impressive. He put on his uniform, he went out there, and he stood with his feet 18 inches apart. And he just stared at the horizon. And we thought maybe Theresa May in England, since she was a, one of the leaders of the West, even though I called her a pretty sad excuse for a seat warmer for an actual leader, I still stand by those words. She was a pretty poor excuse for a seat warmer for an actual leader. She met with Ramaphosa and she told him, we fully support your program for expropriation without compensation. It's the fancy word. Wow. Wow, hey. you got that quote? She actually had that quote? Um, I need to be careful, but she sure as hell expressed her support for his plan. Wow. Okay? We couldn't believe it. We just couldn't believe it. Mm -hmm. I can find you the exact precise words, but there's no doubt as to what it meant. It said, you know, she supports his plan. And he's the guy. Kind of, kind of like the Wilson uh, English, uh, the Prime Minister Wilson statement when uh, Ian Smith was under duress uh, yeah. by the communists. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
And that's when, uh, uh, so in 19, what is it, 1980, Mugabe went to Washington and uh, Jimmy Carter hugged him. I got the picture. Mm-hmm. And well, he's a full-blown uh, communist and nobody has done more to destroy uh, the the country of what's now called Zimbabwe, it was yeah. called Rhodesia, than uh, Mugabe. The man was an absolute disaster. Yeah. And I've got yeah. uh, a trillion dollar uh, Zimbabwe notes because of all of his uh, wonderful handling of the economy. Well, so the, the what I wanted to point out, and, and this is going to come completely from left field, you would think that if this government wants to get more land for people, it would, uh, you know, somehow find that land amongst everything that's already available out there in the country, because they say they want to give it to black people. Well, let's take a quick look. I show you that rainfall line again, right? The the more detailed one. Those patches that you see there are the old supposed hated black homelands, apartheid homelands. Okay. Well, the truth is that all of these, be they smaller or bigger than they originally were, doesn't matter. Some were bigger, some were smaller. They they still in more or less like this purple ones. These are the Tswana people. That's where the Tswana always were. You see this little purple bit here in the middle, sort of alone, separated from all the other purple. Mm -hmm. That's a spot where a, a, a group of refugee Tswana lived in 1836, and they helped the food trackers defeat the Zulu. And they have always been respected, and that land was always treated as theirs. And every year, the old government sent them a present. Okay, when I say old government, I mean uh, uh, Paul Kruger of the the, the old uh, Transvaal Republic. But you can see here how they all distributed around here. Look at the big Kosa homeland here. Now, I'd just like you to know that no white man is allowed to own property in there. So you would think that this is now the point from which this new government would uh, improve the lot of black people, right? Mm -hmm. This is where they have total control. This is where they can make sure that all the riches they have taken from the white guys, you know, these evil white people, that they have righteously taken everything from, that this is where they would go and apply it and improve the lot of their own people. So I'm now going to show you a COVID reporting map. You see that? Mm -hmm. Take a good look at the east of the country. Look at this big blob here on the southeast coast and look at the big blob in the central north. And then you go back to this picture and tell me, do you recognize them? Mm -hmm. Now, why would that be that after 30 years of the ANC in power, it is still impossible to get COVID reporting information out of those areas because there is no medical authority to collect the information. 
because the hospitals aren't there and the nurses aren't there and the doctors aren't there and the systems aren't there. They have done nothing. They have done nothing for their own people. You get me? Nothing. Kind of like, kind of like the Obama administration, the first black president, and uh, basically the result of eight years in office was that when Donald Trump came into office, he did more for the black families and yeah. the black people in America in his four years than Obama had done in eight years by an exponential amount. Yeah. So, you know, if I were to confront an ANC guy, I would tell him, explain to me why there is so little medical infrastructure in the homelands of your own people, where you've had total control for 30 years. Well, 29, call me a liar for a few months. Mm -hmm. Okay. You've done nothing. You've done nothing for them. Your entire pitch is that, don't worry, we are going to kill the white people for you, and we are going to take everything they got. Okay. Well, just, that's the sad part about, Harry, about what they're saying. What they say is really what communists do, and that is destroy the infrastructure, destroy society, as uh, Joe Obama, uh, or Biden, I should say, would tell you. You destroy it and then build back better, except they don't build anything back better. They destroy everything and leave it that way. Well... And then, you know, you ask me how how does all of this get to the United States? Well, it's uh, it goes like this. I'll show you another series of quick photos here. I did mention uh, Carter and Mugabe. Does that look familiar? Uh, hang on, hang on. I gotta say share screen and share. There you go. Remember the peanut farmer? Mm -hmm. okay. He says he now acknowledges that it was a mistake. It's too late, pal. Mm -hmm. It's too late. Just well, I, I will give Mugabe one thing. Uh, he was smarter than Jimmy Carter. Of course. Mm -hmm. Of course. Uh, look, Dan, here's the point. The most backward... 10-year-old cow herd in Africa. A small little kid, you know, like five foot high, four foot high, knows more about the use, the getting of, the disposition, the placement, the abuse. Put any verb in front of the word power. Put any verb in front of the word power. That kid knows more about using and operating power than any guy in the Western world, okay? It's an entire culture based on it. It is addicted to it. It knows no other way of living. That's it. That's what it does. So, well, and what you're referring to is growing up in a tribal culture. Yes. So it started there in, well, not started, but the latest cycle of 
in the U.S. started in Cape Town in 2015. That's the statue of the much-hated Rhodes, and I probably hate him more than any of those guys there. That's the statue of Rhodes being removed. Okay? Mm -hmm. Now, they wanted it removed not because of what he did in the Boer War or his uh, control over finances or his abuses. They wanted it removed because he's the arch-colonialist in history. Okay? Mm -hmm. uh, you know, that's one thing I'd have to agree with them, frankly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that was going through their heads. Well, when the protest started, three days into it, those guys in Cape Town received a message from the Black Students Union at Berkeley congratulating them on their effort. Did you hear that? Mm -hmm. They got a message from the Black Student Union at Berkeley. And this is what followed. That's Durham. Mm -hmm. Okay. And so South Africa comes to America in this way. You saw 1986 South Africa arrive in Ferguson. You've seen this arrive on your doorstep. Okay. Courtesy Black Student Union at Berkeley. Um, it was also exported to London, where people ran around with, uh, sorry, to, to Oxford University, where people ran around with signs reading Futsack, which is an Afrikaans word that says, go away. Um, but, but this connection goes back way, way longer. It goes back to this chappy. Recognize him? Mm -hmm. You know where he is in that picture? Cape Town, early 1966. Mm. He gave a speech, uh, I forget all the right words. I, I could take a look here if I still have it somewhere. But uh, yeah, Bobby, here we go. Let me see if I can get his exact words for you. Um, well, I, I, I don't know how to put on a proper Massachusetts accent, but I come here this evening because of my deep interest and affection for a land settled by the Dutch in the mid-17th century, then taken over by the British, and at last independent, a land which defined itself on a hostile frontier, a land which has tamed rich natural resources through the energetic application of modern technology. I refer, of course, to the United States of America. Hmm. You want to know where the connection comes from? Mm -hmm. Okay. That's, that's interesting. So your, even your center left has been obsessed with South Africa for decades and decades and decades. Okay. And we're now 55 years into this. 55 years, two generations into this crap, okay? And I, yeah, I, I don't even know if I should show this next picture, but uh, my comment to these guys who bleed all over is, uh, look, 
if your grandpappy took part in a lynching and you are sorry for that, please go and be sorry on your own time in your own country and do not stick it in my face. We didn't do anything like that. We had nothing to do with that. And in fact, our ancestors were slaves. So can you cut the crap and go and bleed elsewhere and stop sacrificing us for your granddaddy's sins? That would be my comment to them. I am so sick of liberal Americans who bleed all over the show and try to spread their guilt to everybody. I don't hold them accountable for any of that. So why the hell are they coming along and pasting their grandpappy's rubbish on me? It's it's annoying in the extreme because my people are being killed because of it. Well, Harry, and I'm going to inter interject something at this point. Um, my parents, uh, their their forefathers. First of all, my my dad was uh, German and came over from uh, Germany. He, he actually his father did. They immigrated here in the 1880s after slavery was long gone. Yeah. My mother's family, I'm actually, through her family, I'm a member of the uh, SAR, the Sons of the American Revolution, and her family lived in southern Ohio and was part of the Underground Railroad, which was providing transportation for escaped slaves to get into uh, Canada. So what, you know, uh, someone's going to have to sit me down one day and explain to me what the psychotic guilt trip is about, mm -hmm. because this psychotic guilt trip is killing people outside your country. Exactly. It's, well, it's all over the world, but it has nothing. I, I can tell you, Harry, it has nothing to do with slavery. It has everything to do with communism. It has everything to do with destroying society by slicing and dicing and and uh, finding enemies within society so that you can identify them and make them hate one another so they don't focus on the real evil, and that is globalism. That's global Marxism. Yeah. And I guarantee you when these people get their way, and the whole world is living under Marxism, they're the next to go because the ultimate goal is one world technocratic feudalism and the handful of people at the very top want to control everything and they want everybody else dead and that doesn't matter what your color is. Okay, I, I said my piece. Right. <laughs> it, it, it makes me so angry because I don't believe anybody needs to sit around and apologize for any of this stuff. And you need to get these people out of your woodwork because they're poisoning the West. Uh, they are not going to get any favor from the people they think they are supporting. Those people will kill them in the end. Kill them too. Yep. So uh, they, 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 they think the crocodile is going to eat them last. Well, anyway, and it I've, may. It may, but it's going to ultimately it's gonna eat, eat them. them. It's going to yeah. eat them. And, yep. and and so my last two pictures that I have here, really, this this is a student protest back in the early 1960s in South Africa. Okay, that's what it looked like. You'll notice there were white students. 
in Pretoria. That's the statue of Paul Kruger in Pretoria. It's still standing there. And that protest was to protest against the apartheid government? No, I don't even know what the whole protest was about at the time. Okay, but it, it was a slightly more left-leaning one, but it was not against apartheid. And this is what a student protest looks like today in South Africa. Mm-hmm. Okay? There is a difference there. And I'm not looking at the color of the skin. Mm-hmm. Shall I play that again? That's what that one looked like. It was a NUSES, uh, National Union of South African Students, uh, gathering at the time. And here's what it looks like today. There is a difference in behavior. There is a savagery, a pyrotechnical, pyromania obsession, etc. Now, you're hoping that ultimately the police could uh, stop some of this. But here is a recent swearing in of police members. Mm -hmm. What do you see? Mm-hmm. I looked around desperately, desperately searching for a single white face, and I thought maybe there, possibly, given that the government says that all jobs and all categories should show the demographic of the country, but as best I can tell here, it's ni- the country must be 99% black, Otherwise, I don't understand why I cannot find a white face anywhere except possibly that person, and I couldn't even swear to that. Mm-hmm. Kind of okay. looks Chinese, to tell you the truth. So my, my comment is, I have no problem with black policemen. That's fine. Mm-hmm. I just have a problem with, hang on a second. So these guys are going to have to protect those farmers? Why would they exactly? Malema has told them also, you know, what's going to happen to them if they try to help. And so nobody trusts the police. No one, absolutely no one trusts the police in South Africa, period. Well, they don't in the United States either. It's and- just, it's, it's, it, this, is an, this is what an employment agency look, looks like. Right, everybody's going to get a job, and then they're going to sit down and do nothing. You phone them; they say, "Eh, we don't have the petrol. Our van he cannot run. Is mm-hmm. yes, we do not have the gasoline." Okay, that's what happens. That's how it works, boys. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I've given you a glimpse of your future. I trust folks enjoyed it. My old country has already lived it. To remind you, it sits there at the bottom end of Africa. It's practically destroyed. That's it. But what the hell? It's far away. You don't have to worry. It's never going to get you. 9-11's never going to happen. Takedown of the statues will never happen. All you have to worry about now is that South Africa had naval exercises with the Russians the other day. Mm -hmm. 
and that Russian military cargo planes are landing at the military base outside Pretoria, the same base that I flew from to go and fly over Angola. Okay, so there's a bit of a change there, boys. Okay, and uh, don't say I didn't warn you. I have been sitting here since about 2013 talking to people about what's headed to the United States. Um, you can decide. I'm, I'm, I'm getting a bit too old now to wave a stick at anybody. But uh, oh, Trust me, you're not uh, any more than I am. Uh, Harry, first of all, I want to thank you because this is, this is excellent. You did a, a beautiful job of, uh, of, of proving your thesis. Now, I'm going to ask you something. Okay, uh, first of all, South Africa at one time was num number 17 in the world. And when you consider the countries that it was up against and the size, the demographic, uh, that's pretty amazing. On the other side of that, the resources, the natural resources have not changed. The latest thing I read about South Africa is that it's now number 46 in uh, gross domestic product per capita. That's high. Yeah, 46. Well, that, that's two years old, actually. But uh, that's the most recent one that I've seen. Well, the national airline is bankrupt. The energy utility is bankrupt. Mm -hmm. The national railway system is bankrupt. The defense industry is bankrupt. The government, the ANC, takes a 10% kickback on any project that is, you know, big, uh, uh, what do you call it, industrial project. In they the get a 10% kickback. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, or as the previous president said, we we are, we are collecting enough money to last us until Jesus comes back. Okay, that's how he phrased it. Guys, we can only you, hope. You 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 are you are looking at the world's richest terrorist organization. This is the world's richest terrorist organization. It's a terrorist organization because. Ronald Reagan put it down on paper. It's a terrorist organization. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, in fact, his sidekick, Bush Sr., is the one who implemented that. He put it in the actual physical list. It stayed there until 2008 when Dabia took it off mm -hmm. to please Condi Rice, who was not always the sharpest pencil in the box. Mm -hmm. Okay. The fact Neither that, was that, W. W was yeah, certainly well, not the sharpest pencil. Well, in the I kind of like I kind of like Condi Rice, but uh, okay, she, she, she didn't impress that much. The the point is, you know, why would you expect them to change their spots? Mm -hmm. Why? Why exactly would they change their spots? If if you put Al Qaeda in charge of a country. What do you think you're going to get? 
Seriously, what do you think you're going to get? If you put the other Minov gang in charge of a country, what do you expect to get? Yeah, a real mess. Okay, well, the word kleptocracy doesn't go far enough to describe this. It, it, by, by calling it a kleptocracy, you, you, you kind of give it almost a sort of a political legitimacy. You know, someone who's an idiot could say, no, 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 we're not a democracy, we're a kleptocracy. It sounds cool. <laughs> okay? It's like the people who don't call uh, uh, Ocasio-Cortez by a full name. They call her AOC. They don't understand. They, they're so stupid, they don't realize they're marketing her by calling her AOC. You've just given her a three-letter bloody acronym, you idiot. Okay? Don't give her a marketing acronym. Call her by a name, by her name. Okay, so it can live in infamy. Nevertheless, so I don't understand why people thought this would work out. It was never going to work out. It was never going to work out. I, I, I have one friend here in Canada who's got a whole lot of ANC connections. And he keeps telling me that a, a lot of them are, uh, or a number of them are just saying they can't stand it anymore. This is not what they fought for. This is a disaster. Uh, this is a nightmare. You know, uh, this is nothing but a, it's become nothing but a bunch of thieves. And it's not just that they thieves, they completely inept. They don't know how to do anything. Mm-hmm. You know, and it, it, it's best described for me by the member of parliament in the uh, in, in one of the parts of the country in the East Cape. And this piece of work stood up and said in the local parliament, eh, the national research body, he must investigate the lightning to find out what it is that the lightning wants. <laughs> Why the lightning is killing only the black people? What they do wrong that it kills only the black people? Wow. Okay, this. This is what's handling the country. You got it? You Mm -hmm. calibrate it? Is that really what people meant? All these nice liberal folks who thought they were doing the good deed for the century by killing us? Mm -hmm. Really? Harry, um we're almost out of time, but what I want to do is give give you an opportunity to talk about when you were still there and the ANC was replacing engineers, uh, physicists, people like you with their um, their, I guess you would call it their uh, in, enhanced uh, black, uh, participation programs. Talk a little bit about some of the people that were replacing you and other engineers and people in the utility industries and so forth. Talk a little bit about that uh, personal experience. I, I think the best way to do this is anecdotally. First of all, they have a word for it. There's a phrase for it. The ANC calls it Carter deployment. They are deplo- deploying their cadres, as they pronounce it. It should be cadre, but okay. Their cadre de- deployment program. And here's how it worked. Um, 
There's numerous examples, but I'll, I'll give you one that happened in my life. Uh, the president of, of our organization uh, was a very competent guy, uh, really effective. And uh, I, when I joined the organization, the R&D body, uh, it was to work directly under him. He eventually got promoted to president, two levels up. So one morning, um, this must have been about 2006 early, I think, 2005, sorry, sorry, uh, 95 or 96 early. So the new government is in, and lo and behold, we fall under the Minister of Arts, Culture, Science, and Technology. And this minister has a name. This minister is Winnie Mandela. Mm. Wow. Okay. Now, so she who incited people to light up others with gas-soaked tires and setting them alight, she's now our big boss. Great going, boys. Mm -hmm. Talking again to those nice liberal folks in America who <clears throat> do so much good. God, they love themselves. Watch them go. Wow. Okay. I'm sure all Christendom sort of salutes them as they go. Um, don't mind me. I'm just a green guy who's pissed off at reality. The uh, He phones me. The guy phones me one morning. It's like half past six in the morning, like hour and a half before I need to be at work. My phone rings. It's the president of the company. Harry. Now, I'm going to use a false name because I don't want to create problems for some folks. Uh, we'll just call him Jack. Harry, what's going on with that Jack guy that you have there in your division? Told him, well, wh why are you asking me? You know, he's he's working for Neil. He's not working for me. He said, sorry, I have to do it the way it really happened. He said, Harry, cut the crap. We've worked together long enough. I phone you. Give me an answer. I know you know what's going on. What's, what's up? So, well... Neil is out of his skull with frustration. We have tried everything. Um, he's put the issue on our collective management table and said, I don't know what to do about this guy. He's apparently utterly incapable of doing anything. We asked him to write a report on something. He couldn't write anything. We asked him to do this. He couldn't do it. There's nothing. But he comes with a great recommendation from a local American company. Okay. And we'd already debated the idea that actually probably that company was trying to get rid of him. That's why it was such a great recommendation. That's for the American way. And uh, and, I, and he said, okay, so you say he's useless. He's useless. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I got him to drive me to the union buildings and drive me back one day. That he could do. So he was great with driving me there and driving me back. I didn't have a car that day. Okay, I had to come back early, so he volunteered. That's great. He did something. That's the only thing that anybody knows that he ever did. So why are you phoning me about him? I think now you owe me an answer. 
And uh, maybe I shouldn't have spoken to the president of the company like that, but I did. And he said, well, I got a call from Winnie Mandela's office last night to say that I now report to her through him. Wow. Does that describe well enough what the situation is? Mm -hmm. That's also why the utilities, the railroads, the airlines, yes. the yes. entire infrastructure of the country has fallen apart. No. And that's it. That's my story. I thank everybody for, for hearing me out and not throwing rotten tomatoes at me or whatever. Well, Harry, I, you, you know, you're a special friend of mine and you're a special friend because you've got the guts to say that this is what's going on and report it honestly. And the thing is, um, we, we are not talking about uh, a particular race, a particular idea. We are talking about what happens when you turn a country yeah. over to a bunch of Marxists and communists that understand nothing but power. I've worked with perfectly great uh, black South African scientists and engineers, no problem. American ones as well, big deal. Mm -hmm. Exactly, that's not, that's and I have too. Yet. I have to. Yep, absolutely. Well, Harry, I have to thank you so much. Your book is Amabulu. Do you have a website you want to share with uh, with no, our listeners? It's it's real simple. You can go to Google and say Amabulu, A-M-A-B-H-U-L-U, or you can go to Amazon and put in the same word. Either way, you'll get my blog, you'll get my book, you'll et cetera, et cetera. I own the domain Amabulu. Wonderful. Well, uh, Harry, again, thank you, my friend. Say, uh, say hello to your wife. I know one of these days we're going to get a chance to get together, maybe in southern Arizona, so that you can have a bit of a uh, a, a bit of a recollection of how it used to be. Uh, <laughs> I look forward to it. So, anyway, thank you so okay. much. Uh, thank you for being Thanks, our Dad. guest. From the lakes of Minnesota to the hills of Tennessee, across the plains of Texas, oh, from sea to shining sea, from Detroit down to Houston, New York to LA, where there's pride in every American heart, and it's time we stand and say.
Cause there ain't no doubt I love this land 